0: On today's podcast, we got Bo Kim, who's just another average investor out there who just got started this past couple of years. Now, I talked to Bo probably about two years ago when he was about three months to six months into just binging all these podcasts. And it's pretty amazing to see him come this far to now picking up a few single family homes and doing a bunch of burrs. So I think this would be a a good... Good example of a prog- guy who does his progression into multi- single-family homes, and uh, we'll see where he gets. And if you guys haven't, let's work together to redirect some money away from Wall Street consignals and corrupt financial institutions. Let's team up, and you could do that by joining my Hui Do Pipeline Club. Go to SimplePassiveCashflow.com/club to join there for free. This is a story about a dude named Lane, he moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay, and then one day he went and tried to rent them out, and then he became one real investor man. When I was getting my first few rentals, I found networking at a local REI club absolutely a waste of time. Most of the people you network with, especially in random networking events, will not lead to anything. The running joke amongst sophisticated investors is that the local real estate club is the worst place for us passive investors to find peers because it's just a bunch of broke people. That's why people are seeking real estate advice to get unbroke. Hashtag BP. For the same reason, I am turned off by the 10x Grant Cardone followers because they are really a ninja in disguise. No income, no job, no assets. In some cases, they have a scarcity mindset-motivated individual willing to step over whoever they need so they are not broke anymore. For more networking tips, go to simplepassivecashflow.com backslash people. Since 2016, I've given hundreds, almost thousands of free calls to my podcast listeners and now you can chat with me but you gotta join the Who You Deal Pipeline Club. I do this to filter the right people into my circle. I'm always watching and taking notes tip i give freely and generously to who those who reciprocates and exhibits generosity some people are givers and other takers i have left so much money on the table giving out free advice contacts and resources this is the way i filter people who i want to work with in the future ultimately i play the long game the mastermind journey to simple passive cash flow is a platform to find like-minded curated not broke people or jerks and the best chance for a busy adult to meet lifelong friends even when you have graduated from the program for the price i'm offering for the networking alone it's worth it <sighs> but wait by the way you get 27 weeks of organized content and bi-weekly semi-private coaching calls too. simplepassacashflow.com backslash journey to learn more hey simplepassacashflow listeners today i've got Bo kim on the line Bo and I first chatted, we connected, what, two, early 2018, you know, when I when I chatted with him, I thought he was a pretty unique unique cat. <laughs> I definitely call him another propeller hat. Yeah, yeah, you know, we kind of kept in contact, and you've had a lot of success getting started with this six rental properties in six months, so I thought I'd bring you on, and, you know, a lot of the information that you're going to get from Bo today is going to be pretty pertinent to, you know getting going from zero to 30 miles an hour and it's not going to be like talking to a guru and you know they'll they'll tell you like these secrets from the past that don't really apply kind of like you buy some of these court online courses and it's like dude this is what like people were doing five years ago and everybody's doing it and it's not working anymore just a little bit more about Bo. he is in california he's picked up these again six rentals in six months and so he's a remote investor we'll talk about turnkey a little bit today too his markets are Indianapolis, Kansas City, Little Rock. During the day, he is also a senior consultant for a regional CPA firm. So he's living the uh, side gig life, the double life. And, mm-hmm. you know, just like a lot of you guys, hopes to create passive income to become financially free. But let's get to know you a little bit better, Bo. Maybe tell us a little bit about your the backstory. You know, how did how'd you come to finally Googling how to make money on the internet and paths crossing?
1: Yeah, I think it kind of started at a young age, actually. So my parents, we immigrated here from South Korea when I was five years old, and we kind of settled in Orange County, California. So my parents, you know, they wanted to get good education for my brother and I. So we're kind of looking uh, for good school districts, and we naturally became renters. I noticed that we were renting from this nice Chinese lady and every month, you know, she would come around and, you know, physically pick up the checks. And, you know, later I realized that was to kind of keep an eye on her rental property. And every year when we re-signed the lease, uh, she would bring her son along and her son was about the same age as I was. Um, I think I was about 10, 11 at the time you know, it got me thinking, you know, it seems like she's teaching her son how to be a landlord. And I was wondering, you know, I was asking my dad, hey, why aren't we buying a house and renting it to other people so we can collect the checks? And I never really got a straight answer from my dad. And it was, he was like, yeah, can't afford it right now. You know, it's not for us kind of deal. So that kind of planted a seed in me where I was thinking, hey, you know, when I grow up and I have the opportunity, I want to be a landlord. I want to collect the checks.
0: You know, you know my, I had the same exact thing that happened to me. I think I was maybe about seven or eight or nine. And I asked my mom the same thing. It's like, well, what, why don't we do that, right? It sounds like we could make money doing this sort of yeah. activity. The idea got squashed. It's like, oh, you know, you don't want anybody to do that. You know, it's gonna they're going to screw up the house. We're, I think we're in a little different situation, you know. Immigrant, right? So, you guys are renting. I'm, I'm fourth generation American. So we were, we had a house to live in. So I think it, we, came, my mom was kind of coming from a place of, we don't want to mess this up. By no means, you know, we're still like middle class. Mm-hmm. By no means rich, and and definitely you weren't. What is that? Crazy rich Asian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But like you know, both of us, both our parents, kind of taught us the same thing, right? Like, don't do that, man. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that kind of planted the seed in me. And then you know, after I got married, I got married about two and a half years ago, my wife and I, we bought a primary residence in Orange County, and it was a modest three bedroom, three bath townhome. You know, we didn't, we only needed one of the rooms, so I was using the other room as kind of like my library kind of my home office when sit from home. So the extra room, uh, we ended up actually uh, renting it out to a family member. So, you know, the cash flow was coming in every month, like clockwork. And, you know, I would get a, like a quick pay at the first of the month when I'm on vacation or when I'm taking a trip or out for work. And I'm realizing this is awesome. Like, you know, just like what I was thinking about when I was younger, this passive income, I'm not having to work for it. And it's coming in like clockwork. So, so that really got me intrigued. So I started looking up on um, bigger pockets, you know, buying books, audiobooks, talking to local investors at these REI meetups, and figuring out how I can buy rental properties. Just because just like in Hawaii, where you know housing prices are really high, so a lot of people are equity rich. Um, here as well, you know, the house price for a regular uh, single family home is going to be five six hundred thousand dollars, so I needed to figure out how I can create cash flow and the answer for me was out of state rental investing so you know once I figured that out, I started finding people who are local to me that have been investing in out of state markets such as Indianapolis Kansas City, little Rock, Memphis. And started to just pick their brain because I wasn't about to recreate the wheel. I knew people have been doing this for years and years and years. And I just wanted to pick out the best practices and kind of form my own criteria and then just run with it.
0: Yeah. So you you had this experience of you're like, man, this works, right? This, this, uh, This person's paying me my rent. What was the time lapse between that point to finally get into your first RIA meeting? essentially kind of kicking you off?
1: I think it was about four or five months, actually. So since we started renting out the property, and then it didn't dawn on me until, you know, month four or five, I'm like, this is great. So I went to the local RIA meetings and then on pockets. The biggest, I guess, webinar that changed my life was uh, Brandon Turner had this introductory webinar the Q4 of 2017, you got to take action, like the 90-day challenge or something like that. So that really kicked my butt. And, you know, I was like, okay, I'm super motivated. It's a 90-day challenge. I want to get at least one property under contract by the end of 2017. So that's when I started searching for deals, talking to other people and figuring this stuff out.
0: What was it that finally crossed you over to the out-of-state investing? You know, I mean, and and what what did you find at those RIA meetings? Was it useful? Do you still go?
1: I don't go as much. I think it was great for me to kind of get an overview of, you know, how people are investing, what their thought process is and things like that. Because at the end of the day, the way people are kind of looking at cash on cash, um, the debt service coverage ratio, you know, rent to value, things like that were pretty similar. You know, I got those takeaways from the RIA meetings and the networking was also really great. I keep in touch with a couple you know local investors that I meet at these meetups, but in terms of out of state investing I, I got to admit in the beginning, there was a lot of fear because I really didn 't know these cities. I have never been to indianapolis i 've actually been to Kansas City when I was younger, but I had no idea what these markets were like, you know what the demographics were like, things like that. so there was a lot of fear in the beginning but I talked to a couple different investors who helped me overcome those fears. And as we bounce ideas off of each other and the more that we talk, it kind of helped dispel dispel some of those myths and those fears that I had and transitioned that into, okay, now I'm ready to take action. The most important advice I got was actually to fly over to those markets. And I was coming kind of coming from a scarcity mindset where I didn't want to spend money to fly over there. I'm like, the internet is updated these days where I can just do a Google view search and look at the home, or I could go to Neighborhood Scout, go to Trulia, Zillow, all that stuff. But once I actually flew out to the markets, it was very different. What I consider a B-class in Orange County was very different from a B-class in Indianapolis or Kansas City. And also, you know, the street by street. Things like that, it really helped level set my expectations so that going forward, when I'm talking with a property manager or a broker, um, we are kind of on the same page in terms of what I was looking for.
0: A couple of the big mistakes I see these days is people are, they don't, their expectations aren't calibrated. They're still reading random stuff on the internet saying that you can pick up a $700,000 property that will rent for $1,000. Right. It's just not going to happen. And then I think one thing that you kind of did there is that you met the people. I mean, so many people just keyboard jockey their way and you know ask for properties, and and especially today, man, I've seen in the last two three years. I think you and I talked about this when we talked earlier this year, and I was like, yeah, you and another one, a guy like this, who's going to pick up rental properties across across America, I and mean, it's just it's just not going to happen. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe I, maybe I was a little mean to you at first, but <laughs> no, you're, you're cool. So it was like, it was, it's like, it's kind of nice just kind of following you. So what, would you, what, what did you kind of do first, you know, to break it down for the guy listening, who possibly they're going to be in another 90-day challenge, or it seems like challenges are like the thing these days.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, just to break it down, I would say for me personally, it was just educating myself in the beginning, going to these meetups, and a lot of these meetups that, you know, the two hour meetups that they host are for the introductory level investor, in my opinion. I supplemented that with books and audiobooks, And my favorite thing is podcasts, right? So there's a ton of good resources out there. My favorite is Narada Real Estate. He has a really good podcast. Lane has a really good podcast. Joe Ferales has a really great one. I mean, those ones, if you kind of look at the beginning, it kind of tells you step-by-step what to look for. I mean, when I was looking for an insurance guy, I immediately did a search on Lane's podcast and see, okay, who does he use? And he had an interview with Ed Backus, and I was like, okay, let me talk to him. So I hit him up, and uh, I talked to his brother Mel, actually, and kind of picked his brain about insurance and how that all works. So I think it kind of, it's like a waterfall effect. So, you know, once you start studying and listening and educating yourself, I think one thing leads to another and you continue to educate yourself further in the world of real estate investing.
0: Yeah. So I I just like to point out that, you know, there's been a few podcasts that I've had to pull. I like the guys that I have on here, but you know, you never know. Right. And things change and I, I reserve the right to change my mind. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just putting that out for folks. It's always good to get the latest, latest scoop. Cause things change but you know you're like a, a lot of guys you know like they, they all start out with podcast books audiobooks uh, at what point do you transition from being a bookworm to actually doing stuff i mean if if you guys go to my podcast or my on my blog i have like simple or casual backslash books or book i forget which one it is but i only have four books on there and that's what i really think are the essentials everything else is just mumble jumble I'm more about take action and go and analyze a hundred properties. But what would you say was, is a transition point? Cause I mean, you obviously made the transition to actually getting stuff done instead of being an academic.
1: Um, I would actually say that transition was relatively short. So like last November, I started kind of researching real estate investing. And then I would say a couple of weeks later, cause I remember around Thanksgiving time, I hit up pretty much like 30 different people that included turnkey providers, that included brokers, property managers, and other investors and wholesalers in the different markets. So it kind of went from, okay, educating myself on real estate investing, then I went to out-of-state, how to be successful out-of-state, and then choosing the out-of-state market. So I landed on Kansas City, Indianapolis, and Little Rock, although I did study Memphis for a long time. And then it went to hitting up all of the turnkey providers and agents, brokers, wholesalers, because I needed to know the players in the market and see if I was comfortable working with them. So I think I shared this list with you. I had a massive spreadsheet with about 40 different people that I was trying to talk with. And I know you've kind of added a couple referrals to that list. And what I did was, you know, I talked to all of them, you know, just get a feel. Once you have a 30-minute conversation with them, I feel like you kind of have a good feeling of who this person is and if they're really listening to you, because I would talk to wholesalers and brokers sometimes and kind of let them know what I'm looking for. And they will send you properties that are totally out of what I'm looking for constantly and say, Hey, we got just the deal for you. And I don't know if, you know, they're just trying to release things in their pipeline, but I'm like, this guy's probably not listening to me because I was very specific in Indianapolis, hey, these are the properties that I want, but I'm getting properties from all over the county. So, I mean, things like that and you kind of naturally scratch them off your list or if there's like any red flags. The thing with property managers that I realized was that when you ask them questions, right, they give you all of the right answers and they give you all the answers that you really want to hear. So, it's really hard to kind of separate the good ones and the bad ones the way that I kind of came over that was, you know, when I flew over there, I actually met them in person. And I also had, you know, a couple different investors who I really trust, kind of really vouch for them. And then I got one property with them, it went fantastic. And then I got two and three with them. And it's just been awesome. So that's another way I took
0: action and kind of funneled through all of the different providers. Yeah, a couple of thoughts that come to mind for if you put yourself in the shoes of a a rehabber or turnkey provider, I mean, you're just having tons and tons of more turnkey buyers show up like Bo, and there will be more in in the coming years. And that's kind of why they're just, Bo's just kind of a number until he buys one. And that's just what you have to understand. Also, everybody has their list of providers. Number one, I wouldn't really ask for that. I mean, I used to have a list, Bo's got a list, but it's outdated already. I'm trying to resurrect one and trying to recreate one because, you know, I've got this platform and people are always asking, but here's the thing, right? Like the one key thing that Bo did was that he went out he met the people, he built a relationship. So you may have, some of them may be on your list, but you have a totally different interaction with them. So, you know, these guys, out there, they're saying, this this guy is better than this guy. Well, you never know what's really happening, right? I mean, they, they might have a good, really good working relationship between the two and you're just another number. The reason why they get such a good relationship is, is quite possibly you would get the, such a horrible one. So just saying, keep that in mind as you guys move forward. Yeah, one, one good thing, I think, both that you did well is, you know, you met mentors down the line. Maybe talk a little bit about that, how you got in contact with people and you know, tell the folks, how do you not become an asshole and, you know, just not be another, I got this question. I got this question. Tell me about this. Tell me about that. Yeah.
1: Um, that's a great feedback. Cause I think when I first had the call with you, you kind of mentioned that, right. Be, be, make sure, you know, when you're starting out, put yourself in the other person's shoe, you know, cause the real estate experienced investor doesn't really need another newbie like me to ask him a bunch of questions and take away his time, you know, when he's trying to look for deals and get things done, right? So I kind of kept that in the back of my head when I was reaching out to various folks. A majority of them actually surprised me because they were willing to take the time and kind of share their knowledge. There were a couple of different guys that I reached out to in the Hui group, the pipeline, and, you know, I just hit him up on Facebook, or, you know, sent them an email or whatnot. And we just started to talk and, you know, build a relationship that way. And then there was another guy that I just found his website through Bigger Pockets. I reached out to him. He's, you know, been my biggest mentor, my biggest influence. Um, he invests in Indianapolis and Alabama. And he's really helped me, you know, analyze my deals, bounce ideas off of each other. And I was thinking, okay, he's given me so much value. What can I do for him in return? So a lot of the things that I feel like I'm good at is researching, calling different people. Like I mentioned before, I had the laundry list of brokers, wholesalers, other vendors. So I personally, quote unquote, vetted them. I was like, hey, I'll pass this along to my mentor in case he needs a roofing guy, in case he needs an HVAC guy or whatever. And then also, you know, you're always looking for good lenders with good rates or you're trying to get a HELOC or whatnot, you know, I probably called like 20 different banks. I kind of had that list that he told me he was looking to get a HELOC on one of his rental properties. So I shared that list to him and things like that, where I feel like I can also add value and kind of what I have is more hustle at this moment, right? I don't have the knowledge that a mentor might have. So, you know, what kind of hustle can I provide to share that experience with him as well? And, you know, one story that I like to add is, this was with another person, but when I was flying over to Kansas City, um, I had different meetings set up, but I had one day where I was kind of, it was open, and I was going to drive around the neighborhood, kind of see the different areas. And I reached out to a couple investors who are in Kansas City, and I just asked them, hey, I'm heading over to Kansas City, is there any areas that you might want me to check out? And a couple of them actually reached back out to me. I think three of them asked me, hey, do you mind just swing by my property and maybe taking some pictures of the outside, things like that? So I was like, sure. So I drove by those neighborhoods, took some pictures. One of the properties was actually this investor was a hard money lender. So he was lending money to a out-of-state local Kansas City investor and he wanted to understand, you know, what the progress is like. Is the rehab actually being done, whatnot? And I actually went there and I was taking pictures. And there was nobody. It was supposed to be being rehabbed right now. There was nobody. There was just a lot of you know, materials in the back inside. It was kind of down to the studs, and there was like nobody there. So, I took some pictures for him. I was relaying that information over, and then the neighbor from the next door came over and said hey what are you doing why are you taking pictures so you know i thought she was spooked out because you know this random Asian guy just taking pictures of her neighbor's home and she was actually saying hey do you want to buy my house and she was asking hey come take pictures of my house so i took pictures of her house it's a duplex in a really nice historical area where homes go for three hundred thousand dollars and, you know, I was just chatting it up with her. It seems like she was retired and she kind of wanted the money to go, you know, do her uh, retiree things. And I was like, so how much would you want for it? And she said 180000 So I said, okay, that that could kind of leave some room because overall the house was in pretty good shape. And then the husband came along and he's like, oh, no, no, no. She she doesn't know what she's talking about. It's 220000 actually. So uh, I got all that information. I kind of relayed that to the investor friend who wanted the pictures, and I didn't follow up with him to see if he took the deal or not, or if he reached out. But you know, that was just another experience where you know he was super thankful that not only did I take pictures for him, but I actually got him another lead. Where if it's going to appraise for three hundred thousand, purchase price is one hundred and eighty, it kind of leaves a lot of wiggle room for a rehab and maybe a cash out or whatnot. So that also kind of sparked an idea in me. Okay. So how can I continue to provide these values so that people would like to work together with me, and it's a mutually beneficial relationship? So I really try to keep that in
0: mind. You, you just come across as not like you know, there's quid pro quo guys out there, and you, it's it's hard to tell at first, but you can kind of tell at the end. But you're definitely not one of those guys. And uh, one one thing I will mention is, you know, as you're going around and trying to find a mentor or unfit, no one will really be your mentor. I mean, that's just. You're not going to really have a mentor mentor. It's going to be more of a bunch of unofficial mentors where you kind of help them out and you kind of reconnect you know, every six months or a year or whatever. But whatever you do, don't just say, Hey, how do I help you, man? Like, Hey Bo, how can I help you? It's like, you know, at this point Bo and myself are busy. You know, I don't have time to think of ways for you to help me. <laughs> you know, you got to figure out some way like how Bo did to add value to people that they don't even know and go out and do it. And say, hey, I did this. Can I do anything more? You know, and then then let the ideas flow. Because, I mean, it drives me crazy. It's like, how can I add value to you, Bo? You know, like... <laughs> no, you're
1: right. And uh, just to add to that, I, I do have a bunch of unofficial mentors. And I would like to add, I think also you you kind of got to see if there's a good natural fit. I mean, you can't really force the relationship, right? Like Lane just said, you can't be like, hey, how can I help you? You talk to them and see if there's a good fit. And you guys kind of share the common goals and outlook in life in general. And also Lane and I talked about this is like, hey, would I really want to hang out with this person? You know, is it, is it somebody that I, I would want to work together with? And not just because this mentor is successful or has a bunch of rental properties or has a lot of money. It's like, hey, would I really want to hang out with this guy? I, I think is my personal criteria that I also look for. And also, there have been people who are like, hey, Bo, you know, I want to help you out or I want to teach you and whatnot. But it kind of turned out like they wanted to sell me something instead. There they were a marketer who didn't really disclose that information and they were trying to get a bunch of referral fees or also, you know, there are people who are like, hey, reach out to me anytime. And then I reach out to them and crickets for like, days and sometimes they don't even respond at all whether it be Lane or I have a guy in Indianapolis that I talk to a lot who invests in Indianapolis and Lane's friend there's another guy that I talk to in Kansas City and he's been tremendous help for me as well and you know these guys I know they're super busy but we've just built a relationship and I know that these guys are going to respond in a day or two and provide feedback, and if they ever need my help, I know that I'm going to do my best effort to respond as quickly as I can. So it's been a really good you know, relationship with these mentors and unofficial mentors. And I'd also like to say, like Lane mentioned earlier, if there are people, these gurus who are, who are talking about their deals from 5, 7, 10 years ago, it's, it's probably a different market now. So just be careful for the newbies out there who you take the information from because I think you want to, you want it to be really relevant to where you're investing and the types of deals that you're trying to do, whether it be you know one to four units or multifamily or Airbnb or whatever.
0: So just be careful where you get that information from. Yeah. So are you talking about Brad there and Casey? Yeah. 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 I, I wasn't sure if you wanted to be named. So well, well, he, I mean, started. he's kind of come out of the uh, the shadows here because he's. he's if you guys go to Simple Passive Cashflow Backslash Lending, me and my buddy Brad, we're kind of teaming up, doing pretty okay. good things in KC. So, I mean, that that's how I wanted to make this thing. Like this club and the website was all about connecting with the right people, you know, meeting up with people like Bo. You know, we just kind of keep the relationship going and Bo will do his his thing. My other buddy Brad will do his thing and then we kind of team up later. Yeah. something bigger and you know it, it starts when you kind of knew and you build the relationships in the beginning i'm kind of like i mean everybody kind of listens to the podcast so that's kind of my big branding thing or marketing thing i guess but you know a lot of people are doing good things and you know i kind of trying to hang out with good people so let's get a, get into some tips here to you because know, so, you're going you're, right now you're you're kind of past the whole turnkey thing right kind of graduated to doing the more burr strategy in uh, in KC, Indian Little Rock, because you're kind of, you ran out of money, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I've been d- using different strategies. Uh, my first
1: couple, I had saved money saved up. And then I got creative, got a 401k loan on one of these, and used that to borrow property. I've also used the HELOC to borrow property. And I realized, hey, you know, as long as I can find these deals that seventy cents 75 cents on the dollar refinance out then I'll be able to recycle my money and have that velocity in terms of growing my portfolio so I've been slowly transitioning into burrs but you know just to caveat that you know a lot of my friends and like the uh, newbie investors will hit me up and say hey is Bur the only way should I go straight into burr and I would say not necessarily because there's a lot of risk that you're taking. By doing the acquisition and the rehab, there's a lot of unknowns um, when you're doing a BUR, so it can be very lucrative, and you know it's it might save you more money in terms of buying straight turnkey, where your down payment is kind of stuck in there. But I would say the risk, a lot of the risk shifts to the investor, so you want to be very careful and make sure that you have a trusting team in place before you venture down that path. And also from a turnkey perspective, I know this is the pitch a lot of turnkeys make, but it's true. You know, if you're replacing a HVAC and a roof and doing all of the rehabs that in my definition, a turnkey should do, then you if you're with a 20% down payment, you're probably getting that $5,000 HVAC for a thousand dollars because it's financed uh, in terms of if you're trying to make the repairs yourself after you purchase, it's going to be that full $5,000, but granted you're, the goal is to refi out but there's a lot of nuances in there versus a turnkey and a burr and i wouldn't necessarily say go straight burr for that newbie investor you might get burned
0: yeah yeah and and, and it's kind of like people are like they buy a fixer-upper and i'm like no no that's like the worst thing you can do because yeah. you're fine you're not financing like you said that hvac costs you're kind of buying it all but I think the big thing for the birth strategy is that you've got your contractors, you've got multiple of them. Because, man, these guys, they just, they get thrown in jail. They they get high on their payments. They go belly up. And it's pretty common. It's the thing. So you, you just have to have multiple of one. It's There's actually a Facebook group of, like, bad contractors. And, like, every
1: couple of days, there's, like, a wanted poster. It's like, don't work with this guy he ran off with my money like don't work with that guy it's it's crazy
0: yeah yeah and that's why they call them contractors right no oh, bad oh. joke but and <laughs> also consultants <laughs> senior senior, consult- senior consultant all right so anyway so what does it
1: take to make one cup of coffee what are the stories contained in a single cup is this handsome man
0: I recently came back from kicking the dirt in the high elevations in Panama the site of the investment I am proudest of in my personal holdings which is turnkey coffee farmland parcels coffee cash flow and a legacy investment within turnkey management Go to simple passive cash flow backslash coffee to get a parcel in your mind before the whole mountain is done. You know, you got these, these turnkey providers out there. I think I, I forgot to mention that, you know, if, if a turnkey provider is pretty good, if they're smart, they're not working with turnkey investors. And I think I mentioned that to Bo. I was like, you got you to gotta cool it down a little bit, buddy, because these guys are going to be like, oh my goodness, this kid is going to be such a pain in the butt to work where we're going to get to inspection and he's going to like have a spreadsheet on like all the things he wants us to fix. Screw this guy, right? Because it makes more sense for these good turnkey providers to just flip the property and go to retail these days. I mean, it's a seller's market. That's what you have to keep in mind. So when you're working with a turnkey provider, in my opinion, you're kind of working with the B team already, or someone who just haven't haven't figured it out. It kind of goes double when you're you're doing the burst strategy on your own remotely, because I mean everybody's doing it locally. So yeah. just just kind of know that going in. But I mean, I think the real real reason you're doing it is because you're low low on funds. I mean, you're in the strange net worth area where you don't have quite enough money to go in as a passive investor and kind of just do nothing and, and do those deals. But, you know, you're, you know a little bit more than an average turnkey buyer. So you just, I think I mentioned this, you just got to keep grinding it out for a few more years like this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm weird. I'm in that weird uh, limbo zone. So, you know, I'm I'm always thinking uh, and you mentioned this before, like, what's the highest and best use of my time and you know, what can I do to keep grinding and pushing this, you know agenda of financial freedom so for me it was like hey you know if i can connect with a team out of state and do these birds then i'll be able
0: to at least continue to build my portfolio out that way so let's go ahead and get into some of the tricks and the the habits that we got here since kind of in the trenches at at some point yeah. everybody talks about routines and you know trying to keep these people accountable from out-of-state, know, what are some of the ways that you kind of do that? So just a little background. So
1: I work as an accountant slash consultant for the CPA firm, and my primary focus is compliance work and also internal controls, business processes, and IT, things like that. So I'm all about systems and processes. So as soon as I knew I was going to kind of venture into passive real estate investing on the side... I needed to figure out, okay, how can I create systems and processes that I can leverage in the long run? So, you know, I made sure to use things like Google Drive, where I store all of my things and I have, various subfolders, and I need to get those documents all filed away so that I'm not digging through a million emails come tax time or whatnot. Um, Also, you know, there are very specific things that I ask for, for my PM, like my inspectors, they take extra photos for me for certain things. Like the serial numbers for my Capex items, like a furnace or whatnot. And I, I kind of created a checklist of what I normally do when I try to close a deal for a one-to-four unit. I've seen a lot of people use this on the multifamily side, but I really haven't seen it on the single family side. But so I kind of created my own, kind of the different questions I asked for that property. And also, you know, there are things that I started to learn after I closed on a couple of different properties, is like, for example, Kansas City, I didn't really know that basements were prone to flooding. And there, and there have been a lot of rain. So, you know, one of my properties has been flooding a lot. So, you know, I consult with my property managers to ask, hey, what are some of the preventive measures that we can take? You know, do we need to dry lock the basement, get a new sump pump in there, get a better one, get some ventilation in there? Because, you know, I realize that moisture is the biggest enemy to your property, right? So things like that, and then I also kind of like to keep track of the PNL items, like my income and expenses across my rental units, and kind of gauge. Hey, this is what I was expecting, right? Because I I do a ton of budget versus actual flux analysis for my work, and like, hey, this is what I budgeted. This is kind of what I'm the result. What I'm getting. This is what I'm trending towards. Granted, it's only been six seven months, but you know, it, it is kind of important to get ahead of the curve and see, hey, you know, PM, you know, what's going on here? What what are the things that I need to do to make sure that we're trending towards positive cash flow? So
0: I think that. that that checklist is a big thing. I mean, if you guys haven't read the book Checklist Manifesto, it's about 100 pages of something you can probably read in 20, the first 20 pages, but basically, you know, use a freaking checklist. That's why like, you know, all the pilots have it it just makes total sense if you can put the certain things on autopilot then you can be more ready to address the the issues that come up and you know different nuances Kansas City market has that the issues that Bo was talking about Texas has the sump problems other places you got to check for the flood zones and yours as you mentioned that I have this book out here this is the due diligence handbook for commercial real estate kind of going through that and then In the appendix, there's these like checklists of things to do during due diligence and different parts of the process. It's smart to start creating your own. I've got a lot of checklists myself, but yeah, good 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 point out there. Go. Other um, any other tips and tricks you got here? Yeah, I mean, I think that kind of ties into
1: underwriting a deal, right? So when you're trying to close a deal, using a checklist and. I see so many times now that I kind of post comments on bigger pockets and whatnot. They message me via inbox and they connect with me, send me some of their deals. And over time, what I noticed is like, hey, in the beginning, this is my criteria, and then you know a month later, two months later, because it's such a seller's market, they're gonna start deviate, deviating from that criteria. If they were looking for you know above nine hundred dollars in rent, seven, seventy thousand dollars for a property or something like that. And they're like, oh, I still want the $70,000 property, but the rents are going to be about But you But know, I want to buy a house, so I'm going to just go for it. And I think you need to really take a step back and have a valid reason from why you're deciding to deviate from your initial criteria. Because if you're just on the hunt and you're just trying to add more doors to your portfolio, it could really get you into some trouble. So you want to be very sure that, you're, you know, you're doing it for a specific reason. It's because, hey, I'm able to get this for 50 cents on the dollar. Or, hey, it's a different strategy. Um, I'm trying to do Airbnb, so I'm willing to pay a little bit more. Or, hey, I'm venturing into a new part of town, and this is the reason why I'm going to do it. And you also want to run that by a couple locals. So that's why the key is to fly out there and build a relationship. When I went out to Casey in India, I probably paid at least a thousand bucks buying dinners and lunches to all of the locals. And just, just so that when I reach back out to them, they're willing to respond and they're like, Hey, I remember having breakfast with Bo and okay, I'll take a quick look at your deal and they'll give me that feedback. And that lunch for like 50 bucks is totally worth it because I found out something about that street that I wouldn't have known if I was not a local. It's like, Hey, that street, this literally happened. Actually, that street has two neighbors who are causing so much trouble. Police are always coming. But I thought that was a super deal. I thought it was like 40 cents on the dollar. Things like that are very important. So go ahead and build relationships. Use a checklist. If it deviates from your criteria, make sure you understand why. And then lastly, you know, people who do multifamily do the reversion cap rates and things like that. But I also love to stress test my property, you know, I lower my rents by 10, 15%, see, you know, what the cash flow is going to be like, increase maintenance maintenance and vacancy, see what that's going to be like. You know, it kind of goes back to my job in risk management. I'm thinking what could go wrong, right? And you have to think about those scenarios. You can't just be like, oh, the Proforma looks good. And my own Proforma, I tested it and it looks good. But you really want to stress test it when really the poop hits the fan
0: yeah yeah and, and if you guys haven't grabbed my analyzer i think the url is simple passive backslash analyzer or it's at it's at the main turnkey page simple passive backslash turnkey where i try and throw up all the information i have up on there but it's a spreadsheet and it kind of shows all the the rules of thumb and guidelines for all the extra expenses that you need to account for in your your underwriting and that's exactly what both kind of talking about here and we had, I think we had a good discussion about this. You know what what happens in a recession, right? I mean, different places. A A class does something different than the B class and C class. They'll they'll have the different nuances. And it's all theory, right? Nobody really knows it's going to happen. But by stress testing the rents, increasing the the maintenance and vacancy, you can kind of see how how strong your investment is. So let's let's kind of wrap things up, Bo. What's kind of, you got the new guy listening. He's going to go to Simple passive a cashflow backslash, turnkey, read that stuff. But then he's filled his mind with all this great wisdom. But then, you know, what would be your advice to a scared newbie getting started with buy and hold investments out of state, something where they can't feel it or touch it?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I had the
0: same issue when I was just
1: starting up. There's that fear, Right. I think the way to overcome that fear is just to really educate yourself and get comfort. You know, you're not going to fully get rid of that fear, but you're going to get comfort enough to kind of step over that fear. And, you know, I like to share a favorite quote of mine that says, it's not what you don't know that gets you into trouble, but what you think you know that just thinks so, right? You know, the way that I interpreted this quote is that, I don't know if you've ever played the game telephone and there's people, you know, relaying information to the next person, to the next person. By the time it gets to the last person, it could be distorted and it's not the, you know, original intended message. So sometimes, you know, I hear investors who are saying the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And I know a lot of people who thought, you know, 2015 was the peak or 2016 was the peak. They really don't know. You know, nobody has a crystal ball. So you want to make sure you do you do enough due diligence. You talk to many different investors. You get multiple viewpoints. You fly out to the market. You do your stress test. I know it's a lot of work, but it's going to help you in the long run. And once you do that, you should be comfortable enough to make that jump into real estate investing. Because at the end of the day, you've already made your decision. You know that this is what you want. This is the way to creating that passive cash flow getting out of the rat race. So you just need to make sure you kick yourself in the butt, do your due diligence, don't overlook that stuff, and then take massive action, 10X it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I think think what you're mentioning there is like, you know, the four stages of learning. the first stage is you don't know what you don't know. And man, I talk to a lot of people like that and I kind of scratch my head. But you don't, until you get to a point of stage two where you at least know that you don't know Jack, I think that's a, a point where you can kind of move forward. I feel like, you know, right now, bull, you're kind of in that stage three where you're consciously, you, you're you moving forward, you're doing things. Stage four is, you know, kind of that, that area where it sort of becomes unconscious to you. Of course, the cool thing about this, the four stages of learning is that you eventually become a mentor and kind of pay it forward to that's kind of that fifth stage that nobody talks about. But what's next for you, man? Like, Once you uh you're gonna get what five rentals, ten rentals, what are you gonna do after that?
1: Uh, you know, I I think I'm gonna continue to kind of build my portfolio out in those markets, you know, Kansas City, India, and Little Rock. And my biggest passion in life is to really help other people. And I'm not just saying this, is I really find joy. I think it's one of my love languages, you know, when I serve my wife and serve my family, I do things for them. I really find joy. So, um, yeah, you know, access service, right? Access service. Exactly. So, you know, from the same standpoint, you know, I want to pay it forward. There was guys like Brad Lane and, you know, my indie mentor, who just really helped me, you know, I didn't really give that much value if any to them. And they were just willing to kind of, you know, provide that guidance for me. So I've had tons of people on Bigger Pockets hit me up, you know, just email me. So I realized, hey, I'm kind of saying the same things over and over so I decided to create a blog. It's uh, biggercashflow.com, and you know I kind of share my nuggets of information there. And you know if people reach out, I talk to them. And ultimately, I want to just help, you know, other investors who are starting out and my friends and family. That's my why, right? Because I ask a lot of my friends, you know, what they would be doing if money was not an issue. This is a discussion I have with some of my coworkers and some of my family and a lot, I get a lot of blank stares cause they haven't really thought about a it. Right? Like, they're, like, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're like, like oh. what? <laughs> yeah. What money's not an issue. And uh, you know, once they've let that question sink in and they really think about it, they're like, Oh, you know what? Like my passion is to be a DJ or, you know, I actually want to be a sports commentator or, you know, I want to be a travel blogger. I want to build homes for the homeless. These are very purpose-driven uh, things. And it makes me realize, hey, but we're stuck in this rat race that doesn't allow us to look at the site. We're just kind of got our blinders on. We're headed towards that goal that Wall Street is telling us, hey, put money away in your 401k and IRA. And that we got your back in 40 years. You can tap into that. And, you know, that's just a blatant lie. I've actually worked for a financial services company So I know a lot of the fees that are inside these mutual funds and things like that. And, you know, for me personally, um, I want to help them realize that, hey, there are things that we can do. There are steps that we can take right now to contribute to our future. And we don't have to live the life that was told to us by previous generations There are no more rules. You know, you see these young Instagram influencers, everybody's an influencer these days, you know, doing their travel blogging, doing their technology mic reviews and like camera reviews. And, you know, they're making a lifestyle out of that and it's perfectly fine. There is no more rules. And if you've decided that real estate is tangible, it's a way for financial freedom for you. I think, you know, you just have to take massive action and set your targets high.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I just kind of made this podcast because I was loaning. so it was nice to meet folks like <laughs> yourself. Yeah, yeah, For sure. But you, you want to get your URL out there one more time for people to get a hold of you, and yeah, we'll, we'll kind of stay in touch, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, my website is biggercashflow dot com, and my email is bo b o at biggercashflow dot com. So you know, reach out if you have any questions. I'd love to connect with other investors.
0: All right, so you guys can check that out and compare sizes, I guess. So see if his is really bigger. So (laughs) all right, Paul, talk to you later, man. All right, thanks, Lane. The content found here is just my opinion and things change, and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.